Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for your people. Lord, we thank you that in these days that we're living in, we thank you that we're going to see you establish your kingdom through our lives. We thank you that we are carriers of your kingdom, carriers of good news, carriers of your life, ambassadors of Christ. That's what you call us. And Lord, we thank you for the days in which we live, though they may be dark, though there may be bad news all around us. We thank you that we are carriers of the most glorious news, the most wonderful news. And this news can transform towns, change cities, nations can be born in a day. We thank you, Lord, that whilst we hear, we hear the bad news all around us, there is a counter news that's in us as a result of your Holy Spirit that's alive that's more glorious and more powerful and it brings hope and light wherever we go. And Lord, we thank you for the ways that you lead us to walk in and the good news that you call us to declare. And as we do, we will see wonderful change and blessing come wherever we go and wherever we are. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a wonderful shout of praise before you sit down and we'll thank our musicians. What a blessing. Do you know what a blessing they are to us? Our musicians and our singers, our sound and media team. Hasn't Simon Clement done a, a fantastic job in just, you know, carrying a message from the family so that everybody can see and be blessed by. What a great, great gift and gifts we have in this house. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about our church vision. And um, there's a reason behind why I want to talk to you about vision this morning, and specifically our vision as a local church, because next week you're going to see our vision in a very visual way. You're going to see our vision walked out, fleshed out, and fulfilled. So whilst I'm going to be declaring what our vision is this morning as a company of God's people here in Newport, next week is going to be set up to show you exactly how we flesh this vision out. And we're going to have a wonderful time. And like I said earlier, you know, it's always a great privilege for us as a, as a leadership team just to gather and collect all of the things that all of us have been involved in over this last past year and reflect on it and take a moment to see what's been achieved. You're going to be encouraged. And you're going to be excited about the future, the way ahead. But I want to just clarify this morning. I thought, oh, do you know what? It'd be a great opportunity just to set out our vision this morning clearly so that next week you can see that we're not just hearers of a word, but we're doers of this word. 
We don't just come here and listen to, you know, a 45-minute preach or an hour 15-minute preach sometimes, a 45-minute preach on a, on a good Sunday. We're not just hearers of words. Be encouraged, church. You're a doer of the word that you hear. You're a carrier of that word. Not just to educate your mind and bless your heart, but to the best of our ability, each and every one of us walk it and do it and put it into practice. And that's a great commendation. You're going to see that next week. And you should be commended and you should be encouraged by all of the works that we, each and every one of us, are involved in. But I'm going to set out this vision for you to, for you to hear it again and for you to see it outwork next week. It's important. A vision is important. Proverbs says this. It says, without a vision, people perish. Or they cast off restraint. They've got no control. They've got no purpose to, to unify them. They've got no purpose or compass in life whereby they can go forward with. Without a, without a vision, Solomon says, people perish. In another translation, it says, without a vision, people just run unrestrained like wild horses. It's great. God's given us a vision. And we see that. We're not just fragmented. We're unified as a body to implement and see this vision brought in to be a blessing to people all around us. Habakkuk, on another occasion, God spoke to Habakkuk about vision. And he said, make the vision plain. Write it down so that, so that the carrier may run. One of the purposes of having a clear vision is to enable us to run with it. And God said to Habakkuk, he said, listen, though it tarries, though it takes a little bit of time, it will suddenly come about. And all of our efforts and all of our work and all of our commitment and all of our faithfulness to shoulder the responsibility of this vision. Sometimes we're patient and sometimes it seems such a small work. But as we're patient, as we write it down and proclaim it and understand what the big picture is of our gathering and of our, our family here as a church, suddenly there'll be a momentum. And there'll be a pace and there'll be an energy to fulfill this great work that God has for all of us. Without a vision, Solomon said, people perish. Habakkuk came in, he said, listen, we've got to write this down. We've got to understand it so that we might be able to run and gather speed and momentum in order to fulfill it. Paul, in Acts 26, standing before King Agrippa, said this, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision that I received. You see, this vision that God gives us, this word by His Spirit that He imparts into us where He focuses our attention collectively to a given task, it requires obedience. And oh, as the pastors here, Faye and I are thrilled just to see the tireless commitment and the obedience week after week, year after year to the vision, to the work that's been set out for all of us 
to achieve. It's a wonderful, wonderful blessing to have a vision. Now, the importance of vision is this, to set out a vision. Firstly, it helps us to measure our progress. We want to always see that we're on track as a church. We always want to see that we are making good progress. And a vision, when you, when you clarify it, when you write it down, like God said to Habakkuk, it enables you to see that you are making good progress. It enables you to measure your progress. And also it helps us to align ourselves with a set purpose. And that set purpose, as you will see this morning, comes right out of the Word of God. My God, this isn't the imaginations of man. It would fall to the ground before you even get started. But as we align ourselves to the set purpose of God's promises, the set purpose of God's Word, we can, we can grow and we can get stronger and we can fulfill everything that He's declared over this place and over our lives. Vision helps us to measure progress. It enables us to continually align ourselves and our activities to a set purpose. And also vision within a church acts a little bit like a compass. If you wander off to the left or to the right, the compass tells you. Paul, understanding the power of vision at the end of his life, he could say, I have run the race. I have finished. I have finished the course. Why could he say, I have finished? Because he had a vision from God that acted a little bit like a compass. So if he wandered here or wandered there, that compass would bring correcting adjustment. And that's the power of a vision. And that's what we have as a church. We didn't arrive at this quickly. We prayed over this, Faye and I, for many years. And it's been confirmed. It was confirmed before. We gave it by a lady that came here from the other end of the country. She said, you're about to speak a word. You're about to set a vision out. And God wants you to know it's right. So it's great to have confirming words like that to encourage us and to enable us. Now, anything that I say this morning is not going to be a foreign language to you. Why? Because we've been seeing this vision outworked over many years throughout the church, from its inception, from its beginning. So our vision spans right back into the beginnings of our DNA, of our core as a church, but also it picks up on present things that we're doing and it sets out the future as to where we always as a family want to align ourselves with. So it's not going to be foreign language to you. It's many of the things that we're setting out is always a priority to us and it's actually operational. And also into the future, it's something that we always want to prioritize and align ourselves with. You know, one of the dangers of bringing a vision into a church is that sometimes you want it to sound all glamorous and it's, it's so far down the road that you need a telescope to discover it. Well, not the vision of this house. 
Not the vision of this house. You're not going to need a telescope or any binoculars because it's so far down the future. So far down into the, into the future that you need, you know, it's hidden out there. And you need, a, you need a looking glass to see it. No, this vision is practical and it's immediate and it's what we're, what we're always doing and seeking to do as a family of God's people. So there are three key words that we felt characterizes who we are as a church. As we looked at the big picture of what we've done in the past, as we looked at the big picture of what we do collectively within the church on a week-by-week basis and where we want to go in the future, we felt that there were three words simply that characterizes our activities and our purpose as a church. And these words are reach, renew, release. Easy to remember. Reach, renew, and release. And I'm going to go through these words with, with you this morning, with the time that I have today. And I'm going to give you just a biblical context and a background as to why we've chosen these words specifically to measure and to gauge everything that we do as a church and as a body of believers here. So let's look at this first word, reach. The, the, the word reach for us is important within the value of our vision because it expresses two very important priorities that Jesus has set for his church and for every believer. These being... Firstly, the great commandment, the great command, and also the great commission. And as a church, in our reach toward one another and our reach out into the world in which we live, we always want to prioritize these two vital aspects that Jesus declared to his disciples, that being Follow the great commandment and fulfill the great commission. This is, this is balance. This is order. You can't, you know, you can't have one without the other. You need both. You need to follow that great commandment. We'll get to it in a minute. That Jesus has spoken and we need to hold it with great importance and we need to prioritize it always within our gatherings and within what we do. But also on the same hand, whilst we are following that great commandment that Jesus has set for every one of our lives, we also on the same hand at the same time want to be fulfilling that great commission that he's given us to change our city, to impact our nation, and even partner with other ministries to impact other nations of the world. That's the commission. What a glorious, glorious commission it is. It really is. Let's look at this great commandment for a moment that Jesus has set for each and every one of us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in an upper room with his disciples And they thought it was business as usual. Maybe just a bit of a staff meeting. Staff retreat. And they were just relaxing and doing their own thing. Previously, they'd been arguing as to who was the greatest, who was the most prominent one, who was going to lead things. There'd been a big argument. 
that they thought Jesus didn't know about in the afternoon. And there they are, there's a staff meeting. And there's a bowl and a, and a towel at the side. And none of the staff are taking the, the bowl and the towel. And it's there and everybody can see it in the corner of their eye. Everybody knows what the customary thing is to do, to wash feet. But nobody wants to take the opportunity to serve. Jesus couldn't miss that opportunity. Jesus could not let that moment go. Probably one of the most terrific nights of his life. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew that he was going to be denied. He knew that hours later he was going to be arrested in a garden and ultimately whipped and beaten and mocked and, and, and accused and, and hung on a cross. And he's here again having to give his life and lay his life down for very selfish people. But he can't leave it go. He can't leave the moment go. He takes it up and he begins to wash feet. The director of the universe comes into the staff meeting and starts to wash feet. Can I say we have amazing staff in this church? They are towel and bowl people. They really are. They would have been the first on their knees to wash feet. We are very blessed to have a, an incredible team of people in this place. Opportunity for applause. Come on, let's honor them. They're a great blessing to you. Great blessing. But Jesus is there washing feet. And then he comes with this, this commandment. This new commandment, as we will see. A new era is about to dawn. They don't know anything about it. There's going to be a new era, a new covenant that's about to break into their world and break into their heart. And they're full of self-interest. They're full of self-strength. They're jockeying for position. And it's who's can be the greatest. And nobody wants to serve. And, 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 and everybody's kind of in it for their own interests. And Jesus washes their feet. And then he says this. In John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, he says this. A new commandment I give to you. This wasn't the 11th commandment on Moses' previous 10. He wasn't giving them the 11th commandment. He was giving them a brand new commandment that would fulfill all of the 10 and all of the 600 others that were written to fulfill the 10. This one new commandment that he would empower them to live in and to be would enable them to do everything that God had called them to do in their world. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
And what we're saying when we use this word reach is that our love should reach out toward one another in this way. As Jesus has loved us, we're to love one another with that unconditional love, with that unconditional care and commitment and concern. Our love toward one another is to be the same manner in which Jesus has loved us. That's what he was saying to his disciples. Do you know when you read the Gospels, it's interesting to see that Jesus never ever once went up to somebody and said, I love you. Now we do that all the time. I think it's important. I tried to tell Faye several times a day, I love you, Faye. I wanted to know that. I want her to hear that. She says it to me. I love you, Dave. I love you, Faye. That's good. But if those words were not substantiated by acts, if those words were not substantiated by a life commitment demonstrated in many, many different ways throughout our home and throughout her life, what would be the good of it? You see, talk is cheap. And we can say we love one another. It's good. It's right. But oh, far beyond that, there has to be a demonstration of that love. And that's what Jesus was talking about. And that's why Jesus didn't necessarily say to any person, as is recorded in the Gospels, I love you. Why? Because he didn't just need to, to you know, engage with people in that way, he wanted to demonstrate his love through action and through kindness. And oh, the disciples must have thought back of all the ways in which he loved them and all of the ways in which he loved others. He never walked past a sick, hurting person without reaching. That love reached. Made them whole. He never left. Multitudes of people hanging. Like a shepherd, he went and he reached them and he brought them in. A love that was demonstrable. A love that was practical. Not just a, a, a love that was vocal, that was empty, cheap talk, but a demonstrable love that showed a laying down completely of his life. This is one of the priorities of our vision, to follow the great commandment that has been given to the disciples, that was given to the disciples on that night that Jesus was betrayed. This is what we're saying. This is a priority for us as believers. It really is. To follow the great commandment as Jesus has declared. And then the, the message, the powerful message that emanates from our lives, from that love that's so unconditional working among us, is this, that all men might know that you're my disciples. You see, yes, they were going to declare in word and in power and in deed, but it was this love that would be 
the greatest advert to a waiting world that was, that, was, that was hindered by brokenness and hurt and pain. This would be the greatest advert into a world that was so lost. This love would bring and hold the church together. That's a priority for us within our vision. To follow, to follow the great command. That's like a compass within you. When somebody rubs you up the wrong way or you get hurt or you, 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 you just can't understand the decisions of another, hey, listen, right at the outset of your conversion, you decided to take up a cross and follow Christ. And that, that love that, that is so forgiving, that love that can go the extra mile, that love could, that can take a strike on the face, that love that can, that can even lose property and let it go, is a love that's burning in you. This is not a perfect church. I am not a perfect pastor. And there will be times where we've just got to forgive each other. But you know what? And it will hurt. And it will be difficult. But you know what? Love. The love of God in Christ Jesus that's in us can win the day. And it can help us forgive one another. To be everything that God has called us to be. That great commandment is a, is a priority. And it's something that we always want to align ourselves with. It's something, it's a set purpose that we always want to give our our lives too. It's interesting, before Jesus commissioned them to go out into Jew Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth, before he commissioned them, he gave them on this private night this command. He said, boys, if you get this command, if you, if you, if you follow this command, you're going to be able to fulfill the greatest of commissions all over the world. But you've got to get this command right, and it's got to be in place, and it's got to be central. The next priority, mentioned it already, that we want to always set as a precedent. One of the reasons for our existence is to fulfill the great commission. We are ambassadors of Christ. You're packed with good news as a result of the Holy Ghost. There's gifts in you. There's, there's good works prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Commissioned by God. And this again is a priority for us. As His people, we want to fulfill the mandate on our lives to fulfill the great commission. Our reaches toward one another in that we love one another as Christ has loved us, but also out beyond in the world in which we live, in the city that we're placed in. Our reach wants to be extended out into this dark city, into this needy world. So we want to be a church that fulfills the great commission. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said to them, listen to this. He said to them, 
go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What a privilege. What a privilege. What a commission. Do you know what? You might not believe in yourself. You might think, oh, do you know what? That's too much responsibility for me to take on. God believes in you. God believes you. You're more than able to do it. You're more than able to carry out this commission because of the power of the Holy Spirit within you. And yes, all of us sometimes have been on our back heels when it comes to sharing the gospel. All of us have. We're all in the same family. We've all felt the same fear. We've all felt, you know, awkward in moments when we're asked to give a reason for our belief. But you know what? Even if your conversation is broken, even if you're on your back heels, one, one mention of the name Jesus can touch people, can be a light into their darkness and give them hope, and your life can be a bridge and a connection point from where they are into the house of God. It's amazing what he will do. He doesn't need eloquence. He doesn't need big talkers. He just needs a willing servant. A willing servant. Moses didn't want to go to Egypt. He said, I can't speak. Have you ever been there? I can't speak. And God just simply replied to him. Maybe it was a little humorous. Don't you realize, Moses, that I made your mouth? Hey, church, God's made your mouth. God, God can put words in your mouth so you don't get tongue-tied. And even if you get tongue-tied and even if you make a mistake, I'm telling you now, the love of God will burst out of you and it will touch people. It will touch them. It really will. People don't want a perfect answer. They just want to see a heart bursting with love and care. We're commissioned. Next week, you're going to see how we are fulfilling this commission. And down throughout the years, I believe, like you believe, this commission is going to grow. And our reach and the extension of this place is going to go exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think to other lands to other towns, to other cities. We're not going to do it by our own strength. It's just going to burst out of the walls through our lives and through our homes. It really is. You're going to see how Jesus cares is reaching out into the community. Now again, secured new funding. The credibility that we have as a church let me tell you, you don't get half a million pounds worth of funding unless you've got credibility. As, firstly, as a company of people, financially as an organization. And just for you to know, every year our books are audited. We don't have to have them audited, but we choose to have them audited so that there's a credibility and a clarity within the financial structures that we have within this church. Why? Because it's our home. And it's our finances. And they need to be conducted credibly. You don't just get £500,000 if there's no credibility in place. Organizations. We're working with over 120 social care organizations. I can remember sitting in my office, I can remember it clearly, and I was going to email 
right? It was a December. It was the end of December just before we broke up for Christmas as a staff. And I was going oh, to email this organization in Newport. I won't tell you which one. It doesn't really matter. And I was about to. I, I, wrote the, I wrote the email and I was about to send it. The Holy Spirit said, oh no, actually I said, I said, I said, no, I'm not going to send it. If you're in this, they'll come to me. Now, we weren't even doing anything. This organization didn't even know that we were desiring to, to reach out into communities. It was the first organization. I thought, Lord, you know what? If you are directing us in this way, I want your stamp of approval on it. First week in January. Now, we'd never had any contact with this organization. Guess who's on the phone? Tell you. The organization that I was going to send the email to. And we were suddenly, there was an open door. And, and there, there, was, there was suspicion. They wanted to know that we weren't just going to come in and prosper proselytize people to our own beliefs. I said, hey, listen, we're not about that. We're not trying to ram anything down people's throats. As a church family, we just simply want to provide and give and be a blessing. There's people that are hungry. There's people that need food. There's children that are suffering. There's, there's people that haven't got clothes on their back. Please help. Please let us as a family, as a church, be a means of support. We can't do everything, but the little that we can do, please. And they said, come on in. And then suddenly, I'm telling you, it was just like a roller coaster ride from one thing to another thing. The supernatural power of God opened doors and gave us power to reach and fulfill the commission of God just through that one strand. Jesus cares. But there's many other strands, as you will see next week, there, whereby we're reaching into our community, our youth provision, what, what happens on a Friday night, on a, on a Sunday morning, Dean and the team just laying their lives down for, for young people, wanting to just encourage them, strengthen them, direct them in their future. What is that? That's fulfilling the commission that God's given us to reach out. To bring the good news into, into negative situations where, where kids and children and young people have had a bad start. It's wonderful. And then into our, into our Sunday Connect with, with young people. Then Creative Academy, as you've, have you seen with, or Creative Ministries, as you've seen this morning with Sally and James. Sally, James leading that over 20 years. That's longevity. That's what God looks for. The good, through the good seasons and the, the bad seasons and the, the challenging seasons, just there. Have they always been able to smile and joke like they did this morning? Probably not. Just like you and me. But you know what? They've set their compass. They've set their course. They understand, hey, listen, Jesus is in me for a reason. Not just to save me, but to reach out to others and be a bridge for others. To, to, to enable them to receive this same love that we've received. And we could go on, and you'll see it next week, all of the various ways in which we, as a church, are trying to fulfill this great commission in various ways, being innovative, creative, just to get the good news out there.
These are priorities that we always want to set, whereby we reach one another through our love that Christ has given us for each other, but also we reach beyond. We reach beyond ourselves and we, we, we be with that extension of his hands and feet in a lost and a dying world. To Isaiah, God said, my arm's not short, that it cannot save. He can reach into this city. We believe that. He can reach into a hopeless case and make it a trophy of his grace. Good line for a song. He can reach into a hopeless case, maybe a bit too poetic. He can reach into a hopeless case and make it a trophy of his grace. But he really can. He really can. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 to 21 says this. Now remember, these are always... These scriptures that I'm giving you this morning and these, these words and phrases that we're speaking about this morning are all part of our vision whereby we can measure our progress, whether, where, whereby we can set and align ourselves to a set given purpose and where we can set the compass towards as we go forward in the future. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 21. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. What news we have. What a ministry each and every one of us holds. You don't need to be ordained. You were ordained the moment that you got born again. You were given a ministry of reconciliation to reach a lost and a dying world. It's wonderful. Absolutely glorious. So reach is always going to be a priority that identifies what we want to do as a church within our community and within our fellowship with one another. And also the next word... We're getting through it. Is the word renew. Renew. We want this house, this home, to be a place where, where there's always new life, new birth, new things unfolding in our lives as Jesus brings more of his life into our lives. We want our lives to always stagnate and grow old but always to prioritize the new things that God is birthing through us together there's new ministries in this place there's new there's new visions there's new dreams there's new work to do and that's something that 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 we always want to encourage it really is our lives can be that bridge for another to come into Christ and who knows what they will do. Who knows where they will go. I've been talking about over the weeks about Ananias. 
See, God is not mundane. God is not stuck in a rut. There's always something new to explore, to do for him. And who knows what he'll do through you and I. Ananias got up one day, probably much like any other day, until he started to pray, and then he he saw a vision. And God began to speak to him, and he said, here am I. It was a new day. He had to reach a man that everybody had rejected, that everybody had sidelined because of his violent actions against the church. But Ananias was the man that God sent. He had a here I am heart. And with that here I am heart, something new was going to begin. An apostle to the world was going to be born who would write over two-thirds of the New Testament. New is in God. And we're not, you know, by the grace of God, we're not going to stagnate as a church. There's going to be new wine in this place continually, energizing us, fueling us, helping us. We live in a new covenant. And because of that, this new life in Christ will enable us to do what he has called us to do collectively and individually. Paul had his mind, his motivation, and his emphasis in the new. Listen to him in Colossians 3 verse 10. He says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. This new life that we are talking about is not me trying to get new events here, there, and everywhere. This new life is right at the center of your being. It's new life in Christ. Now, there may be events and there may be things that we do, but my goodness, if we've just got to be a church that puts on an event here and an event there, it's going to get stale. No, this is right at the core. This is as a result of the Holy Ghost saving you, baptizing you, placing you into the kingdom of God. Put it on, God says. You don't run from event to event in order to get a new buzz. Nothing wrong with events. But this is a 24-7 thing. Really is. Come on, he says. Put it on, church. On into Ephesians 4, 21 to 24, he says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old self. We're going to encourage each other to throw off those old habits, to throw off those those old garments that bring us down and keep us guilt-bound. And to put on, he says... He says, throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life. There's nothing back there for any of us in that former way of life, whether it's in the way that we talk, in the way that we think, or in the way that we act. Just throw that stuff away. There's a brand new set pattern for your life. It's in Christ. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupt by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts. Oh, it's so great. You know, the mind, the imagination can be such a cruel thing. Especially as you're getting older. 
but not according to the Word of God. Your mind and your imagination could be the most glorious place. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. It doesn't have to be a prison in our head. It doesn't have to be a torture, a place of torture where we're guilt-ridden and where we're constantly reminded about all of those old things. This is what Paul is saying. Your mind, your imagination can be the place where the Spirit renews you. And this is something that we always want to set out here. We're not going back to any old form away. In our lives, we're always prioritizing on new things, new ways to think, old ways to leave, what new to put on. And we never ever as a church, and we're not, want to be so rigid that we can't move. I thank God for the flexibility of this body in young and old. What a great collection of people. We're not just for the young we're not just for the old. We're a, we're a, we're a family. We're a, we're, a, we're a great representation of a, of a good picture of what it means to be a Christ follower. All ages, all stages in God's kingdom. Really important. Yeah. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Created to be like God, my goodness. That kind of talk in his world, in his culture, got him into a lot of trouble. But God wants us to be like him. Not to be like what we were, but to be just like him. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17 says this, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently. We know him now. That's transformation of the mind. That's transformation and new life in the imagination. How differently we know him now. This means that Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. The new life has begun. The new life has begun for some of us many years ago. But it's never stagnated. It's never become old. It's, it's perpetually renewed by the Spirit of God as He changes the way we think, as, as He enlarges our imagination and changes us. And, and, and enlarges our life experience in Christ. Psalm 1 verse 3. James referred to it. And David was understanding that God wanted to break out in this new life. In this new way for him. And for anyone in, in God, he says, he, he, he describes the characteristics very graphically of this new life breaking out within us. He or she shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth fruit, bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf, leaf shall not wither 
and whatever he does shall prosper. I'm excited about the life of God in this place. I'm excited about the life of God in our hearts. Why? Because whatever you do is going to prosper. Your leaf, the work of your hand, the, 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 the families that you have are under the blessing of God. And because of the life of God within you, your children are going to go higher. Your children are going to do better. Even those that, that are attached to you and uh, by by, by family members, extended family members. I'm telling you now, they may not yet know Christ, but as a result of, of being in your family, that light and that life is going to be extended to them and they're going to come to Christ. They really are. And we're going to look around the room and see each other prospering. We're going to look around the room and seeing, see each other's lives flourish in God's goodness and in God's presence. Amen? Amen. Finally, the last word that we feel we want to characterize what we do and what we're about as a, as a family is the word release. We want our lives to reach toward one another, embracing one another on the journey that we share through connect groups and through fellowship on a Sunday and also we want our lives to reach into the world that's surrounded, that we're surrounded by. We want to always ground ourselves in the new life that, that God has provided for us in Christ. But also as a church family, and we do this, and you're going to see this next week. We want the life of God to be released, released through us. And this means service. Jesus our Savior, our Lord, the one that we adore, the one that, that, that ha has done it all, that has finished the work of God, that, that took the, the very judgment of God and the penalty of His wrath for us, made it a priority to serve. He said this, he said, the Son of Man, looking at many people, seeing the adulation in their eyes, seeing how they looked up to him. He turned it on its head in some senses and said, listen, I'm not here for you to serve me. How amazing. I want you to know, this is my paraphrase, I'm here to serve you. Oh, what an attitude. What an amazing spirit. This is the spirit of the kingdom that we want to always prioritize in this house. It really is. It's what we want to measure our progress against. It's what we want to set our priorities with. It's the compass that we want to direct us away from selfishness into service. The Son of Man, I've not come to be served. I've come to serve you. And we could, I tell you, we could spend months on just that one statement going through his life, seeing how he served others so selflessly. We want to prioritize that, don't we? 
We really do. As a core value within our vision, and we have. Philippians 3, verse 13 to 14. I'm going to ask the, the music, musicians and singers to come up. Oh, no, sorry, that's the wrong, the wrong verse. Mark, actually, it's Mark 10. That's the one I'm going to. Mark 10, verse 42 to 45 says this. And here we're going to. We're going to bring our, our time together to a close. Thank you this morning for being patient and listening. We've gone on a little bit longer this morning, but you know, it's important. It really is important for me to set out the picture, the vision, the priorities, the values that we have collectively together as a family. Mark 10, Jesus speaking, he says, but Jesus called to them, to himself, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. You see, it was all about power in his world and the useful use, use of it, just like it is today in our world. A power struggle. That's what it's like out in the world, Jesus said. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be the first shall be the slave of all. This is the way of the kingdom. This is not Jesus being condescending or belittling their desire to be great. But he's just saying, hey guys, to be a servant is to be the greatest of all. To give your life away is to find it. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through to verse 27. Paul says this, But our body has many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would it be if one part, if it, if it only had one part? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should, be see, should, not, should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that the members care for each other if one part suffers, all the body or all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you are part of it. What Paul is saying is, hey, listen, we serve one another. We release our lives toward one another so that the body is strengthened and each member 
does its work and is encouraged. There's a few more scriptures, but I'm going to leave it there. But they're all, they're all in line with us releasing our lives into the work that God has set for us. Do you know what? Next week, you're going to see, you're going to see how this vision is fleshed out. I've spoken it clearly this morning, set it out before you. You've heard it, but you know what? Next week, you're going to see, not just here, you're going to see how you have fulfilled it in yet another year. In yet another year where there's been ups and downs in all of our lives. But the consistent thing about all of our lives is this. Do you know what? We've served Jesus and we've done what we can do within this city and within the, within the work of this church. And it's a wonderful, wonderful picture. So I want you to stand to your feet right now. And I want you to give him praise. We're going to sing before we go. But why don't we lift up a shout this morning for the vision that he's given us that's grounded in his word that we've set our life toward. Come on, church. Let's give him a praise and a shout. And we'll sing before we go. God bless you.